Welcome to Sunday School. How y'all doing today? I hope you had a great day. I hope it was an eventful day. I hope you're right now preparing uh, for your week uh, because it's, you know, it's going to be a good week. You know, we're coming up on holidays. You know how that is. We got to get ready. We got to get ready. Get ready. I know I am. I'm thinking about it and I'm dealing with it. <clears throat> so time off, kids, family, everybody doing the thing. So Sunday school. Today's Sunday school is going to be completely about strategies, exit strategies that you can implement for your creative financing deals, right? As you structure these deals, it's important for you to understand how you're going to get out of them. One might even venture to say that it's more important to understand how you're going to get out of them before you get into them. That's more of where, where I'm at with all of that. Why? Well, uh, the reason is really pretty simple. If you understand what the exit strategy is, it's easier to put the deal together, right? Any of you that have been in my, um, or that are in my, uh, um, training courses or mentoring, whatever it is, coaching classes, any of you that are working with me, you'll hear me talk all the time about the CARVE method. You've studied the CARVE method. You understand what that is. And the CARVE method is the creative, <clears throat> uh, the conservative after repair value estimate. And it gives you these kind of four boxes to look at any given deal in it. Doesn't mean that you can't have some variances in there and some things are going to be like others and you could do a wholesale deal but structure it in any one of those ways your equity position doesn't really matter the whole goal the the mission for the carve example is for you to be able to see the exit strategies period point blank because if you i'll, I'll tell you a quick story when i got involved in real estate in the very 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 beginning i only knew how to do one thing so i was only looking at things in one way. And that was a wholesale, a wholesale deal every single time. The only thing I did was focus on wholesaling. It's all I knew. So if a deal didn't fit in that box, I just didn't do it. You know, I walked away from it and I left untold amounts of money on the table because of that. I, you know, I, I just, I don't know how much money I left on the table by just not knowing what my options were. And so I created the the carve uh, method or the carve example so that as I'm sharing with you, you can learn faster than I learned. Does that make sense? Right? So as we move forward today, let me do a little bit of housekeeping. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about exit strategies and how you can exit these deals. Again, those exits are going to help you structure the front end of the deal. If you know where you stand, right? But I want you to ask questions. If you have questions, just ask them. Just ask them in the comments section. I'll get right, you know, I'll, I'll do everything I can to answer them right here while we're live, while we're doing our thing, right? I want you to know uh, that uh, I'm here to help you. I want you to be able to leave this session. You know, again, we do it every single week, every week, Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. I want you to be able to leave this session with actionable information, actionable information, things that you can use right now to go out there and enhance your business, do better in your business, have more, you know, weapons in your arsenal, if you will. Okay. 
So make sure you comment. I'm going to say that throughout this. So because here's what happens. You know, some people comment, some people don't. But what will happen is when people are watching this later on, they're going to feel like they, you know, they can't ask the question. So it doesn't matter if you're watching this live or not. If you're watching this a day from now, two days from now, three days from now, it doesn't matter. I'm always looking at your questions and I'm always answering your questions. So ask them, <clears throat> excuse me, ask them or, or DM me, get right at me and ask me the question and we'll put it together. Because there's nothing worse than having, you know, an opportunity in your hand and not being able to get the answer that you need, you know, to, so that you can move forward in that. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Now, exit strategies, exit strategies for your creative financing deals, right? And what is a creative financing deal? Well, they're going to be, you know, uh, seller financing, they're going to be novations, they're going to be subject twos, I and mean, it's just whatever you're going to create, right? It's going to be in that, in that wheelhouse. So you have to know when you're going into them, how you're going to get out of them. Okay. Now there's only, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can structure this. So I just broke down, you know, the five essential ways you're going to be able to go inside these wholesale strategies or, or, or exit strategies, knowing exactly what you're going to be able to do. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to do it right now. Right? So let me just kind of share this with you. Let me get myself out of there. Here are the five things that we're going to talk about today. These are the five things that you're going to do when you're going to uh, exit a deal. Okay. So let's say for instance, you know, you've got a subject to deal. You've got a subject to deal uh, in your hand right now. And you're going to, you want to, you know, exit this thing, right? And again, depends on this. When you're doing a deal, you want to make sure that the deal that you're doing is going to cash flow, even if you're going to wholesale it. So we're going to just talk about what this looks like. Let's say that you have um, a subject to deal with limited equity, very little equity, which is why it came to you. It was a problem. The problem is always about the price. Don't let anybody tell you anything else, right? Yeah, if there's renovations that are needed, that's money, okay? Yeah, if you have an unrealistic seller, that's money. You know, these things matter. So it's always about price. You just have to make sure that your exit strategy is, is going to work. And your exit strategy for what, again, if, let's just, let me just go back here. So you're, you've got a deal. Let's say there's only, it's a $200,000 house. You're getting it for $170,000 because it needs some light work, a little cleanup, a little this, a little that, whatever the situation, but minor stuff, right? Maybe 10,000, some carpet, some paint, some cleanup, just minor stuff, right? So you're going to be into this thing for 180,000. That's what it's worth. You can't really do anything more than that because that's what it's worth. So now you want to, you're doing this deal, not because you want to keep it for yourself right now, but you're going to exit. You're not build. let's say you're not building a portfolio for yourself. You're going to exit and here's how you're going to do it. Wholesale, right? You're going to wholesale this deal. Now, how or why would anybody want to pick up a property that has virtually no equity? And why would they pay you for it? What, whatever it is, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. Why would they pay you for that deal? Because of their investment strategy, right? So they might 
turn this into a, a rental and it might cash flow for them depending on the specifics of that particular loan. They might do short-term rentals, Airbnbs, or want to turn it into a group home or, or whatever else that there's going to be people that want to do all these different things. And it's important for you to understand that people want these deals. And when you're structuring a deal, if you structure a subject to deal, you have to make sure that one way or another, that property cash flows. You have to make sure of it. Now let's say that cash flow is tight. Okay. It's, you know, maybe it breaks even or only has a couple hundred dollars a month passive income on a normal rental. Now you're going to look at Airbnb strategies, right? You're going to look at an Airbnb strategy, not for you, but for the next person. And you're going to sell it and pitch it that way, you know, subject to deal perfect for Airbnb. Maybe you pull some stats from Airbnb about houses in that area and what they're bringing in at different times. Maybe that's a great thing for you, right? Maybe you're going to do short-term rentals. There are, there are uh, depending on where you are in the country right now, you know, you could rent rooms out. There are owners out there that would love to take over the property because, you know, it needs maybe a little bit of work, but um, they don't have to go get a loan. They don't have to go and get appraisals. They don't have to do all of that. So it saves them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in time, tens of thousands in a case like that, you know, trying to raise the money, pay that. It just, it, it can just be a thing. So you're wholesaling a subject to deal that has very, very little equity, but it cash flows for someone else's investment strategy. Okay. Now we talked a little bit about how you get into these deals, but when you know, when I'm sitting there and I'm having a conversation with a seller, right? I'm having a conversation with someone that wants to sell the property. They're going to sit there and they're going to tell me, you know, what their concerns are, you know, what is motivating them. That motivation is, I hate to say it this way, but it's ammunition for you. It's going to help you structure the deal. We were working on a deal the other day where uh, one of the most important things for this particular owner was income. You know, they bought this property or they own this property so that they could have income because they needed it for retirement. But now the property needs work. You know, they, they, they're self-managing, so it's not working out so well. But now I know that I could come in and have a conversation about seller financing or subject to, right? We're working another deal right now where there's a novation agreement. And in this particular scenario, there's an escrow account that has money in it. There is um, a seller that is motivated to sell because of things that are going on in their life, and they just want to get the property off, but because of where they're in it, they can't get all the cash that they need right now. So we structured a deal that gives them money now, money throughout the process, and then money when the property sells. So we're structuring that deal in that way. So you, you understand what people's needs are, and then you structure your deal for that. You know, your exit is going to be, how you're exiting is going to be how you're structuring this. But the more information you have, the easier it's going to be for you. It's going to be much better. So in this example, again, if you're going to wholesale this, that's how you wholesale it. You package it with as much information as you can get. It's all free. You don't have to subscribe to, uh, to any, um, let's see. Oh, Jason dropping value bombs again. Yes. Thank you. Yes, sir. I, I do what I love. I do what I love. As I said before, 
ask questions if you have them about this process, okay? So, um, where was I? Exiting. You're exiting on a wholesale deal on a subject to boom. You can sell that thing off. You've done your work. You can go to Airbnb, find out what those properties are uh, renting for on a nightly basis at any given time, right? You can pull up all that data. It's available to you and it doesn't cost you anything. You can pull up rental information. You can see what they go for there. There's, um, I like to use something called Rentometer, right? There's a free version and a paid version. You really don't need the paid version right now, but Rentometer will tell you what the rents are going for in that area. So you can look at this deal and say, oh, okay, here's one that's going to cash flow three or $400 a month, right? Uh, the, another thing that you can do for that is if, if you don't want to wholesale it, if you're not wholesaling it, maybe you want to, while we're going to get into that, let me go back right here and share that with you now. Okay. Right. So, uh, we're talking about rentals. You can rent it right now. You're doing all that work to see, Hey, I'm going to hold this. I'm going to start building a portfolio for myself. Now, this is a great way to do that. This creative financing. I don't, my credit doesn't matter. You know, the fact that I might not have any money doesn't matter. It, you can, you know, as we talked about, I think in week two, you know, learn how to raise private capital for these deals because you'll be able to pay people if you're structuring the deals correctly, right? And there, again, there are so many ways to structure these deals. So when you've got one in your hand, it's important that you reach out to someone, have a coach, have a mentor. I always talk about that. Somebody that you can reach out to and say, hey, here's this deal. What do I do with it? How can I make it happen? Because in the beginning, you're not going to make all the right choices. You're going to make some mistakes. Having someone to bounce these ideas off of, ask questions to, is going to help you minimize the amount of deals, <laughs> the number of deals that, that you will inevitably lose by not knowing which way to go. Okay. Now, the next one is a wrap, right? Now, what is a wrap? Now, these aren't placed in any specific order. These are just your options. These are just things that you can do. A wrap is a wraparound mortgage. Okay. So let's say you have someone that, uh, now I like to do these, even if I'm building a portfolio, I like them in this particular case more than I like the next option, which is a lease option. But I like to do the wraparound mortgages because, hey, now this house belongs to that person. I'm going to sell it to them at a future value. Let's take this exact same uh, example. Let's say this house is worth 200000 today. I'm going to sell it to them on a wraparound mortgage structured for three, five years, whatever, however much time you want to hold this and have that balloon payment. Let's say on that house, you know, my payment was, I don't know, let's just say $1,200. Now, they're going to give me a sizable down payment. I'm probably going to sell it to them for two twenty. dollars or 225. Remember, I'm in it at 180. So if I'm selling it to them now at, let's just say 225 for future value, it probably would be more, especially if I'm doing a, a five-year term. But just for the sake of this conversation, let's just say it's 225 five years from now. And there's different ways that you can structure that, which I'll get into later. Um, but you'll do that more on a lease option. But on this wrap, now you've got a mortgage and you're, there's an existing mortgage and you've done a subject to, and you're going to wrap your loan around the existing financing, meaning to that person that you're selling it to, they're going to have a mortgage that you're providing them with. Let's say 
you're charging them 7% and you're only paying 3%, right? And you're charging them 7% at the 225,000, or let's say they gave you a $15,000 deposit, a down payment. So you're only financing 210, but that 210 is at 7% and your 180 is at 3%. And that's going to dictate what their mortgage is. It's going to be substantially more than the $1,200 you're paying. If that was the number, you know, let me, let me, let me be specific for a second. I want to be exact. I want to give you real numbers. Okay. Of what that would look like in real time. So you could see if this makes sense for you or not. Okay. And pull up the trusty mortgage calculator here. We're going to do, we're in it at 180,000. Okay, and that interest rate would be, let's just call it 3.5%, okay? That's an 800, just, just the loan, you know, not insurance or anything of that, of that. That's $808 a month, right? So now we're going to go back up to that 210. At 7 now that is a $1,397 monthly payment. Boom. This is something now you've, you're making almost $600 a month passively on top of the $15,000 down payment. I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, just ask me, you know, just say, hey, can you clarify a little more in depth? But there it is. That's how you make something out of nothing. Okay. You could have made that deal without a penny in your pocket. Nothing, nothing at all. You market for the deal. However it comes, you could be cold calling people. You could be, you know, you could be cold calling an expired listing or an extended listing right now. We're, we're at 90 days or longer. You know, uh, a couple months ago we were at 60 days or longer. Now we're moving 90 days or longer because houses are sitting on the market longer. People are more motivated, right? Whoever you're calling, you might be calling tired landlords, but you're on the phone with them. Maybe you're doing direct mail. Whatever marketing tactics you're doing, that's your time and your energy, right? That's your sweat equity that you're putting in because maybe you don't have the money to start a $1,000 or $2,000, $2,500 a month campaign out the gate, having cold call. You don't have it. That's understandable. So you've got to take your time and you make these calls. You set up your appointments. You make these deals happen with them. You do all the negotiation. Again, it's just your time that's uh, that you're out of uh, that you're out of. You're just investing your time. Now you've gotten this deal. Now you're going to market this deal on a wrap. You want to build a portfolio for yourself. You want to make your life a little easier. Yeah, you can wholesale it, and you might get three or four thousand dollars, maybe five. Yeah, you can rent it, but you got to give these people their money too, because they're going to want something, right? But this wrap, this wrap option, is now. You know, let's say you gave them. This person, you said, look, I'm going to give you $5,000 and I'm going to take over the mortgage and that, that's what we're doing. Boom. Done deal. Okay. Perfect. You've, you're going to build time into that contract, which allows you to market that property. You're going to find someone that has the money that doesn't have the credit to buy the house. And then you're going to sell it to them. You are essentially going to be their bank utilizing this particular strategy as a wraparound mortgage. Your attorney or title company, uh, whoever it is you're working with, wherever you are, will be able to walk you through this process. Okay. 
And now you're making, you made $10,000 in your pocket. Boom, done. And every month, every single month, you're going to make about $600. Almost, not quite, but almost. Now, maybe you don't want to manage that property and you're going to hire property management. You know, that's going to cost you 10% of that um, mortgage payment that's coming in. So now you're not quite making $600. You're making $460, but it's being managed. And guess what? It doesn't, you don't even have to do it that way. You don't even have to hire a management company. You get a servicing company. So these people are paying a servicing company or paying you. And it doesn't really cost that much money. It probably costs you 20 bucks a month uh, to set that up for them. Okay. And there you go. And there's different things that you can do in different states uh, to protect yourself. Obviously, by doing this through the attorney and having it filed, you're protecting yourself. But there's different things you can do in different states. Some people do these. Uh, what's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. It's a preemptive deed in lieu of foreclosure. It's kind of kind of sketchy, but people do it, okay? People do it. That way, if they stop paying and just walk out, you don't have to go through this foreclosure process. You simply file that document, okay? So that's a wraparound mortgage. Do you have any questions on that? I want to make sure that I'm being clear. And for those of you that are uh, just uh, 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 getting in, please comment, like, share if, if this is afterwards um you know if you're not watching this live excuse me comment anyway direct dm me let me know what you got on your mind what questions you have let's get this thing worked out all right so that's your wraparound mortgage that's what that looks like okay now let's go to the next one which is the lease option and guys understand that i'm giving you these things in, a, in its most simplified form, because there are so many different things that you can do, right? There's so many different things that you can do. Excuse me. I'm a little parched. A little parched. Just a little. So a lease option is you're leasing the property to the same kind of a buyer, right? So you're, you're looking at someone or family or someone who wants to live in this particular property. And you're leasing it to them with the option to buy it later. They're going to give you a down payment. You're going to set a price just like you would do with the wrap. But there's a difference. There's a difference. And it's a really big difference because it's happened to people. Okay. You're going to have this future value. And with a lease option, you probably are only going to go two, three years. I've seen people go five, but... You know, they've got to have time to get their credit together. And I think personally, a three, two to three year period is more than enough time to get that done if they're actually focusing on getting it done. But let's say the same thing. We did the same thing in, in, in an economy like this. We sold it to them for 225 future value. But the economy didn't do that well over a couple year period of time. So now the house isn't worth 225 it's worth still maybe let's just say 200,000. Now these people are going to have a problem. You know, they're like, well, what are we going to do? How do we make this happen? You can be as creative as you want to be, but it gets a little bit, it could get a little bit where these people could sue you, you know, because you sold them a property that wasn't worth what you told them it was worth. They could sue you. And there's a bunch of other things that come into play. Um, there's something called inferred ownership. Like you're, you're, a judge will hold you liable, potentially, 
if you lease option a property to someone, even with good intentions, right? I'm not saying that you're scamming. You know, they might feel like they got bamboozled, especially if the market turns, if it goes backwards at the time that they're ready to um, uh, refinance. Having said that, 95% of the people that do lease options do not follow through in the end. They, they walk away. They leave it. They, they walk away from their money. They walk away from the property and they move on to the next chapter in their lives. That is something that happens. And that's fine if that's what happens because now we, have, we still have the property and we can either sell it, refinance it, or lease option it out to someone else or do another strategy, right? Or do another strategy. But a lease option is, is great. Uh, it, they, you're going to tell them that they have all of these, you know, they're going to be able to take the, the, the uh, it's their house. They're going to have to handle all the repairs. You put it in the contract, all that. But you have to understand, technically, all they're doing is renting. They're leasing this thing with the expressed intent in the future to potentially buy it. That's why I like wraps better if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to run that strategy. I mean, we do the lease options. Lease options, it just depends on the circumstances. Again, I'm not telling you what to and what not to do. You have to look at every situation on its own. Individual um, uh, uh, deals, individual people, everything is different. All circumstances are different. And you have to know when to use one over the other. Okay. I'm going to use wraps more than I'm going to use lease options, but it is it is a great option, okay? It is a great option. Now, the next one is retail, right? Retail. Now, how do you retail a subject to deal? How do you do that? Well, again, all situations are going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. Hey, let me see if I created a business in another state but work out of California. Will California come after my tax-wise and charge me for not paying California business tax? Uh, the answer to that, Mike, is absolutely. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, Mike. The reason for that is you live in California. So you, under certain circumstances, when you're buying real estate, when, you're, when you have a lender involved, they're going to want you to have an entity in that state, right? Now, there's again, there's different things that you could do, but just to keep it on the surface for a second, the lender is going to want you to have an entity in that state. Now, that entity could be wholly or partially owned by your California entity, but no matter what money you make, let me just say it this way, no matter, even if you have you personally have another business in the state of Georgia, right? So you have your California one and you have your, um, I'm sorry, but the feed is catchy. It keeps breaking up. Sorry, man. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, we've got bad weather on this side of the country. So maybe that's why. Um, but you've got, you've got to pay income taxes in the state of, in which you live. You, that's just what you're going to have to do. They're going to make you do it. So you're going to f declare how much you made. You're going to, you know, go through all the motions and you're going to pay California state taxes. That's, that's what it is because that's where you live. Okay. Now you can move to Texas, Nevada, Delaware, you, you know, wherever, Florida, 
wherever you see fit, you can move there, meaning you have declared residency in that place and kind of hang out and live wherever you really want to live. But I'm not telling you anything that uh, a lot of people haven't done. You know, there are people that have moved to Florida, but they still spend most of their time in California, but they moved to Florida because they get tax breaks. Same thing in Texas. They spend the vast majority of their time everywhere else, but they've declared their residency in the state of Texas. And that's all only uh, because they want to um, save money in taxes. That That's what that is. All right. So going back to that last exit strategy, which is retail. You got a subject to deal. You want to retail this thing out. You've got this property. It's yours. Uh, it, the, the house is in your name. Uh, the loan is in someone else's name. You can retail that thing whenever you want, however you want. You can do that. Okay. Now, there are other situations, depending on how long you're going to hold a property that you want to keep in mind as well. That's going back to the novations. Novations are, you know, you can do with your novation, you're going to either wholesale that novation or you're going to retail that novation or potentially refinance that novation. But that's really not, if you're not going to really use that for that. You're going to use that for those two things. You're going to structure the deal. You're going to put it in place and then you're going to wholesale it to someone else who's going to want to do whatever the, you know, whatever's written within that contract. Now there, um, the retail side is very simple. I'm not going to go over novation agreements in whole because we'll be here forever, ever. And uh, some of you might not mind that. (laughs) Some of you got stuff to do. I get it. So, your novation agreement is coming in, you're working with a seller and they're generally for a short period of time, three months, maybe six months. And that's it. Where the, the goal is to retail this property out. That's the goal. Okay. Now what you're doing is you're putting a property under contract and you're specifying everything everyone is going to do inside there, right? You're going to, it's almost like a subject to, you're going to take over the payments. You're going to have a closing. You're going to do all these things, except when it's time for you to sell that property, you're the one that has the express right to sell that property. You're going to do that by having um, a a limited power of attorney in place, right? They call them different things in different places, but it's literally a little, uh, uh, a power of attorney, a limited power of attorney specific to that property that gives you the right to market it, to show it, to do all those things. Now, There are different situations that come up when you're dealing with novations. People might still live in the house. So you have to ask them and tell them, hey, as a part of this, what we we have to have the ability to, you know, come and go through the house as we please. And we have to be able to market this property and they're going to give you that. And, And again, within reason, not necessarily come and go as you please, but reasonable access to the property is what you ask for. We ask for reasonable access to the property so that we can do everything we need to do in order to pay you your, your money, right? That means do whatever work is necessary. That means showing it uh, because there's a lot of situations where you can get these deals and you can just turn around and retail them depending on what kind of work is needed. You can just retail them out, right? Innovations are meant for that. That's what they're meant for. And it's all outlined inside the novation agreement. It's basically an addendum to your P, uh, purchase and sale agreement. 
and you're going to add that in and it's really detailed depending on what it is you want to do. Some of them are a lot simpler than others uh, because maybe the people aren't living there. Maybe there isn't, uh, maybe there's an escrow and that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there isn't. Maybe the person just, you just got it. They're not, not even living there. They just don't want to deal with it, but they're stuck on a price. Uh, one of my guys was telling me um, uh, yesterday about a deal that they had done. You know, they, the ARV on the property was 110000 at best. It needed about $10,000 worth of work, just carpet and paint, right? It was a little bit dated. In fact, it was a, a condo. It was a condo. So what they did, they did the novation agreement. They made a deal with the guy so that they could come in. They didn't do any of the work at all, but they wanted to have the, the reasonable access to the property and the right to market it and sell it. And that's exactly what they did. So they wound up, the guy was stuck on 85000 No one wanted to pay him 85000 They agreed to pay him 85000 Now, one thing the guy didn't do was truly market the property. Like he didn't want to deal with an agent. So he didn't do that. He didn't put it on the MLS. He did for sale by owner and put it on for sale by owner sites. And all he got was investors that were giving him lowball numbers. That's it. That's all he got until he met my guy, my buddy. And uh, my guy went and made him a very creative fund. He said, look, I can get you your, your 85000 I can give you your money, but I got to get terms. It's always the conversation, and that's exactly what he did. So he got the property at 99000 He didn't do anything. He put it out there for one ten. made concessions. He made concessions. They... They did the flat fee uh, leasing, flat fee or no flat fee listing, excuse me. So they didn't have to pay six percent. They only wound up paying three percent, and they made a five thousand dollar concession to the buyer for the repairs. They walked away on that deal with one hundred and two thousand dollars. Seventeen thousand. Well, of that hundred and two, they still had to pay. Uh, there was a closing. The, the initial close. They walked away with like fourteen thousand dollars. $14,000 on a deal, 99% of you would have passed up. You'd have walked away from it because you don't see it. It's simply because you don't see it. Now, here's a novation agreement that they did. They came in, they did the purchase and sale agreement with the addendum of the um, novation agreement attached. Everybody agreed. They had the power of attorney, the limited power of attorney for that property so they could show it and do everything else. And then a novation agreement is a very special way of doing an assignment. It, it gives you a lot of rights. And um, it was really, it was put in place. I mean, this thing's probably two or 300 years old, first of all. And it was really, it really took off during the, um, the financial crisis. It really took off at that point. And it was even being used before then. I mean, we used them before then because we have to get over the seasoning issue. And this is how we did it. We did it with that and we did it with trusts. But novations are quicker, cleaner, um, and, and they work way, 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 way better on short-term deals, right? Doing trust for these short-term things, it's just, you, it, you're going through a lot to, to, to get a little. You don't have to go through all of that. The novation is perfect. And if you're retailing this thing and it's going to go to, you know, a, a fine, an FHA, for instance, FHA won't pay you an assignment but they will acknowledge your novation agreement, okay? So these are things that you must know, that you must learn 
if you want to be successful as a real estate investor. It is a must that you learn these things, especially in the economy that we're in right now. The economy that we're in right now, things are going south, all right? But it doesn't mean you can't make money. You will make money. You will make money. We're doing deals all over the country. Special finance deals. Still doing some cash wholesale deals, but most of them are creative financing. You have to learn these strategies and implement them because I'll tell you why. If you're sitting at home and you're a wholesaler and you're watching this and you've been wholesaling and it's, I mean, it's like somebody just slammed the brakes on it. You're doing deals, but only a few, only a few here and there. You've got to find something else. You don't know what's going on. You got to go where everybody's running away from and people are running away from deals that don't have equity. Those are the deals you need to run to. Little to no equity. Why? Miles, the values are going to be going down. Why would I go into it? I mean, it's worth 200000 a day, but six months from now, it might be worth one seventy. That is exactly correct. It sure is. But there's still cash flow to be made. You have to remember, why are people not in the market today? Or fewer people. Let me say it that way. Why are fewer people on the retail side and buying houses? Why are fewer people in the market today? It's because of interest rates. Interest rates are high. You're not getting a loan right now for under 7.5%. They've raised the rates three times this year. You're not getting an interest rate below 7.5%. It's not going to happen. But the person that you're talking to probably bought that house, you know, five, six, seven years, or however long ago they bought it, definitely within the last 10 years. And guess what they have? Cheap money. Cheap money money. They have a loan in place at 2.5, 3.2, 3.7. That's cheap money. That coupled with what um, um, uh, rental rates are right now, there's tremendous opportunity, tremendous opportunity for you to not only wholesale these deals to people that are building portfolios, but to actually build a portfolio for yourself as well. Utilizing strategies like the rep. If you're out there and you're finding these deals and you found a deal, it doesn't have to be the perfect house. It doesn't. There are people that are willing to buy a house because they want home ownership and they'll come in and they'll put the work in that needs to be done to fix it within reason. There are people out here that are, are wanting to have a home for their family, to have their slice of the American pie, if you will. So you don't have to have any money to make sure these people can get into a house and put money in your pocket and start to build a, a passive income portfolio for yourself. Using that example that I, I, I brought up earlier, you know, with the $808 payment that it costs you, as opposed to the $1,397 payment that you're bringing in. I mean, how many of those deals do you have to do before it replaces the income that you're currently making? But keep in mind, this is, this is passive. I mean, you've got to mind it. You're the bank. Okay. You've got to mind it, but you're the bank. You don't, you're not fixing anything. They're not calling you uh, to, to fix a toilet or change a light bulb out. So they're not doing any of that. If the HVAC goes out, it's on them. It is their house. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's their house. And anybody that's listening to this, you know, look, if, if you're renting, people will always try to not pay the rent when things go bad, go wrong with the property, which you can't do. You always have to pay it. And any judge will always tell you that. But 
with a home mortgage, I mean, you got to pay it. There's no question. That's your house. That person might decide to walk away from that house because of an expense like that. It's not likely, but they could. Point I'm trying to make is, you know, you're now making five, six hundred bucks a month, at least five hundred dollars a month passively. Okay, passively. You do 20 of those deals, 20 of those deals a year. Well, however long it takes you to do it, right? Do 20 of those deals. Now you're making, not counting the, the down payment, not counting the down payment. You are making passively $100,000 a year just with 20 of those deals, just 20. So when you sit back and you're listening to people talk about, man, I got, you know, 50 houses. I've got 900. We've got a guy that has 900 houses, 900 houses. And he's been doing it over the past 10 years, I believe. 900 houses. One might say, how, how can you possibly do that? Obviously, you have to hire people to help you out. But if you're utilizing this kind of strategy and you're making 400, 500, 600, some of those you're going to make a lot of money on. Some of those are Airbnbs. You know, life financially is different at that point. It's financially, life is different at that point. So you have, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And that somewhere is right here, right now, today. That somewhere is learning creative financing strategies and implementing these strategies into your business today. And in the description here, if you, there's my, uh, uh, my calendar link, we can have a conversation about where you are and what you want to, you know, what you want to do for your business. No problem. doesn't cost you anything. Just hit the link and we can have a conversation about it, period. One-on-one um, -on -one where you can ask your questions. We'll spend a little time together and we'll go from there. This is what you want to do. These are the exit strategies that you're going to implement. And, and again, I, let me, let me just go back over them. And I, cause I want to reiterate the fact that there are other things that you can do this is, I mean, there's, there's probably 20 different things that you could do based on the vari variations that you have access to by understanding creative financing, you know, wholesale. You, again, you don't have to have any money in the beginning. If you've got money for a marketing campaign, great. It's just going to get you there faster. Money helps you get there faster by utilizing the right techniques and strategies and technology. Okay. Um, rentals. You want to build a rental portfolio, straight rent. You pick the deals that are right for you. You keep those deals as rentals and everything else you wholesale or you do something else with. Your wraparound mortgages. Your wraparound mortgages are going to be generally for your prettier houses, but not necessarily the pretty house, right? It doesn't have to be the half a million dollar house on the hill. It can be, but it doesn't have to be, right? It can be the $150,000 house that's in a, in a normal everyday average neighborhood if they even exist anymore <laughs> with, with the with the way things cost today but that again that you're getting a good down payment you're getting monthly income and they're paying a servicing company who pays you every month okay and servicing companies are a lot less expensive than um um property management companies because you don't need them you don't need them to manage the property the person is doing that on their own and then we have the lease option which is again you're going to use that in uh, different kind of circumstances maybe someone doesn't have 
$15,000 to put down. Maybe they have five. And you say, look, we're going to do a two-year lease option with you. And you'd come up with a realistic number. We have a very specific way when we set the price up uh, on for the house on these where we do, we set a, a price that is going to guarantee us some kind of money, right? So if we did the price today, like that $200,000 example, I might say, look, we're going to, the base is 200000 Everything above that, you know, uh, we will share in the appreciation at the time you close. I will pay for an independent uh, appraisal, and we will use that appraisal when we uh, to finalize the price at that time. I mean, you can be as creative as you want. I hope that made sense. But you can be as creative as you want with your lease options. Now, in those kind of situations, as I mentioned before, you know, uh, inferred ownership is a real thing. Inferred ownership is a real thing. You have to be aware of it. But if you set a value today and you have an appraisal, like this is what it's worth today, and you do a deal from that number, which guarantees you in this case, it guarantees us $20,000 no matter what. So, and that we might've gotten 10 or 15 of that right there. So in doing it that way, and then of course you set the price, the mortgage, you're not putting an interest rate or anything. You might say, look, I, I want $1,600 a month for you to live in that property. Now you're making $800 a month passively. But in that situation, remember, even if you're telling them these things are your responsibility, they are technically just renting from you. They are leasing that property with the intention to buy it at the end of whatever term it is you agreed. So by, by the law, depending on where you are in the country, and I'm pretty sure everywhere, they're leasing it. It's just your responsibility to fix the problems that happen. You can say whatever you want to say, but if they want to go to court and take you to court, you're going to lose. So it's really technically your responsibility to do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to wind up in court. But you you just want to be aware of those things, right? You just want to be aware of those things. And then lastly, you know, you have your retail. Your retail, which uh, we do a lot of those with the Novations. They're short term. They're easier. They're cleaner than going, you know, putting it into a trust or utilizing sub two. It's short term. Sub two is going to be something we're going to generally be in for a longer period of time. And that's how it works. These are your exit strategies. This is how you take nothing and turn it into something utilizing creative financing strategies. And I know that I'm talking a lot about creative financing strategies lately. Any one of you who know me, you know me for fixing flips and wholesaling. And How do you think we get a lot of these deals? How do you think we get deals that... We, it seems like we just jump right into them in terms of the renovation. It's because we, we're always doing creative financing structures, right? We wanted to build a multifamily portfolio as opposed to a single family portfolio. But right now, it's, it's good to do it on both, both sides, on both fronts. Because these people bought homes that they now have to sell for one reason or another, but the money is cheap. It's at least, in most cases, half of what the money costs you today. And you're getting some equity in most cases, some. Maybe not a lot. We can do case studies about, you know, we can share with you case studies about, you know, all the equity we got out of some of these deals that we kept and some that we don't have any equity in, some that are worth a little more. I mean, they're they're worth a little less than we had hoped that they would be because of what's going on in the market. But those are properties that are 
generally being Airbnb or doing we're doing rap songs, period. Okay, and that's how you get it. That's how you make it happen. So, hey Julia, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. Yes. So that's where we are with those, and. I just wanted to share these exit strategies with you. I'm not going to hold you up, but if you have questions, you know, I'll be watching this throughout the night. DM me if you don't want everybody to see your question. If you need to share something with me, my uh, calendar link is in the description. If you want to have that one-on-one -on -one time, just let's just make it happen. Uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to give you what you need. Now let's go out here and get some, uh, get some deals. Let's go out here and get some deals. All right, everybody. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. For those of you that are working directly with me, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for, for trusting in me. I won't let you down. I'm here for you uh, from to the end, till the wheels fall off. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so, so very much. Y'all have a great night. It's time for dinner. Peace.